Hey everyone, welcome to Silicon Theory's best and worst of 2017. Going into this year, we were both excited, both of the Sean's, um, at the crop of phones that were coming out. We felt like this year could go down as the best year yet for smartphones, and I think largely that was indeed the case. Um, the crop of phones this year was excellent across the board, and I think this may be truly the first year where you could have bought any of the mainstream flagships, and I couldn't tell you that you went wrong. Sean, what are your thoughts? Uh, I tend to agree, and also, I know what you're thinking, and that's, has this been the first time that the two Sean's have been on camera at the same time? You're absolutely correct. Try and control yourself with all of this going on right now. Hey, look, I just threw up in my mouth. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's move ahead to our awards. We've got a lot to talk about, so let's get started. So, guys, we're going to get to the traditional awards, but we want to do things a little bit different and have some kind of unique things thrown out there. So, without further ado, I'm going to start it off with my the Don't Call It a Comeback Award, and I'm giving this to LG. Makes sense. So, last year, LG had a bit of a rough go. Um, the G5 was the first of the kind of modular concept phones to come out, but was ultimately not well received. Uh, the V20 came out later in the year, and it was a fine phone, but I think was undersold and kind of fell off the radar a little bit, so. I agree. LG had a lot writing kind of going into this year, and they started off the year right with the G6. It was the first of the mainstream 18 by nine aspect ratio phones, um, and it did launch with the SA21 because Samsung hogged all of the SA35s, but even with that, it was a really well-rounded phone that did a lot right. I have a couple family members that have them, and. Uh, they've been great for them. As do um, I. And, and they, all the people that own the G6 so far that I've recommended it to have loved it. And, you know, LG followed that up with the seriously excellent V30, which we had the opportunity to review. Um, I think, you know, we don't have this as a category, but if there was the most underrated phone category, I think I would give it to the V30. Agreed. It's an excellent all-rounder. Um, you can see more of it on our video review, but it's, it's really great across the board. Great screen, great battery life, the specs are on point. So um, LG had a lot going, you know, writing going into this year, but I think they mostly did it right. I agree. And certainly if there was anybody who's going to have a comeback this year and that could have pulled it off, it's definitely LG. Uh, Motorola has probably too many phones in the work, uh, in the, uh, just out there in the marketplace. Marketplace. Marketplace is the word that I'm actually looking for people. Too many phones You're in the welcome. marketplace. Thank you. Um, HTC, we'll get to them, but they've made a couple of interesting choices and have only really released uh, two phones this year and not their two best. And uh, so that leaves LG in a prime spot, not being one of the Googles and Apples and Samsungs of the world, to be able to be in a position to sneak in there and get into the top five in United States market share. And they did that by launching two really excellent phones in the G6 and the V30. I, I'm excited for the G7. It's one of the phones I'm most looking forward to next year. I agree. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be more excited for the G7, especially if they build on the great foundation that the G6 has. So LG, well done. Don't call it a comeback. Congratulations. All right, guys. Moving right on to our next award. It's the Monty Python I'm Not Dead Yet Award. I'm not dead yet. Which we're giving to HTC. So HTC, they've had a rough couple of years, it goes without saying, and they started the year out absolutely wrong with the Z Ultra, which was probably, well, definitely the worst flagship release this year, I think I would say. The U Ultra? Excuse me, the U Ultra. A lot of letters out there running around, so yeah, I agree. The U Ultra was described as um, 
the phone for the brilliant you, and this phone was not for anyone, certainly not for you and not for anybody else, because it didn't sell in any kind of quantity. It's apparently so bad I can't even remember the name, so there you go. Now, really forgettable. having said that though, HTC came out with the U11, which is a great phone. A very good phone. Now, it has the 16-9 aspect ratio, it has a little bit bigger bezel still, but the design, they made the shift this year to that kind of back shimmery design where it's like a coated glass and it's really neat looking. I think one of the most striking phones of the year was that solar red model that absolutely, they have. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the software they've really pared down so it's running almost stockish Android at this point so it's one of the quickest skins out there. I think they're doing it right there. So HTC, you know, it wasn't a sales success. None of the main carriers carried the phone. You had to buy it unlocked which is kind of unfortunate but for those of you that had a chance to use it, it's a great phone. It can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the others out there. I felt it was a nice comeback for them and I'm looking forward to seeing what HTC has for us next year. And this is on the heels of HTC getting rid of about 2,000 engineers that they basically sold to Google, the people who were working on the Pixel lines. But then HTC came out and said, nope, we're still going to be making smartphones, just not Pixel ones anymore. So it'll be interesting to see what 2018 holds for them. But if they build on the U11 status, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about the U11 Plus a little bit later on too, uh, if they build on the U11, I think they could potentially have the ability to continue to sell phones here in the U.S. Yeah, and if the engineers that HTC let go to Google was the same team that designed the Pixel 2, I think they let the right people go. How dare you, sir. That design's How dare terrible. You. Terrible. Never going to let it go. More on that later. <laughs> and our next award for Best Newcomer goes to... Essential. Wait, what? Look, I know what you're thinking. They announced a phone. It got delayed for months. There was no communication from the company. Then they may have released, I don't know, customer socials and some information on the internet. Um, they may have released a phone that had a completely broken camera and software that was buggy to the point of unusable at first. But even given all of that, Essential's looking pretty good to me, and I'll tell you why. The hardware's on point. To me, it was the most interesting hardware that I used this year. It's a premium phone, it's a great size. It's kind of charming, the design too. The little widow's peak that at first I thought might be really annoying, in practice is kind of a, it's kind of a statement feature. I agree. It's uh, it's unique to the point of when we had it in our review and we talked about the X4 review and we'll talk about the Essential review and I'll link those down in the description if you want to check those out. But it does very much stand out as something that is unique and different and you won't see just about anywhere else. And here's what else I love about Essential. They've owned this. And what I mean by that is if you go onto the Reddit Essential forum, um, they've been very transparent about their struggles. They hold bi-weekly AMAs. They're super receptive to customer feedback. They answer questions. They've been good about releasing betas. They've had two betas already of Oreo, so they're ahead of most other OEMs there. So. Yes, there was some growing pains, and I think that's to be expected whenever you have a new product. But I will say, nailing the hardware in your first go-around is a pretty big deal. It is. There are some pain points, but still, the hardware, as I said, I think is excellent. And having that community-based, you know, receptive transparency that they have, no other OEMs are doing anything like that. So I'm excited to see what they do next, and I'm particularly excited for the PH2. The only other company that I can think of that comes close to that is OnePlus, and they have a very strong uh, stated connection with their community, but I agree. Uh, there wasn't another phone that had better hardware than the Essential devices this year. Do we wish maybe that they came out with the white model and the other colored versions of the phone a little bit sooner? Absolutely. Do we think that after having it in hand, it is the single most premium smartphone experience you can get? 
Probably. Yeah, and in a world where we've kind of had the same, you know, Apple, Samsung, and Google kind of three players, it's nice, nice to have someone else enter the market and do something a little bit fresh and different. I called it in our review a slab of awesome, and that to me is what it is. It is an unapologetic square slab of just titanium and ceramic. It's a beautiful, beautiful phone. It's a little too bad that it was marred by poor software performance at first and some of the other issues that Sean's already mentioned. But as I said, they've owned it. It's a great phone now. I love it. Best newcomer. And we say that knowing that somebody in someone's family currently owns it. Yeah. My mom, big shout out. She loves it. Good job, Essential. Way to go, Essential. Our next award is for the best international phone that we wish was released here domestically. And that goes to... And we alluded to this earlier, the HTC U11 Plus. So the HTC U11 Plus... Uh, is HTC's first 18 by 9 kind of jumbo phone. So it has a 6-inch LCD, super LCD 6 screen, um, a huge battery, 3930 mAh, and is kind of the leftovers of the project that was meant to be the HTC-made Pixel 2 XL. Correct. So this phone kind of leaked out. We'd seen some pictures. We looked at it and said, hey, the first HTC phone with kind of small bezels. We already knew they had an excellent camera on the U11 this year. Huge battery. What's not to like? Announcement day comes and... No domestic release date. No domestic release. And it doesn't support the bands that you need in the United States all the way, so you can't even really import, import it, it yeah. and use it as your primary phone. So this is a phone I really wish we would have seen. As we said, HTC kind of came back from the dead. The U11's great. And we saw this, and I was kind of thinking, hey, this is going to be a big player at the end of the year. At the time, the Pixel 2 XL screen issues were kind of blowing up, the V30 screen issues too. And I thought, this is HTC's perfect opportunity to bring in a phablet into the market that looks amazing across the board. Modern design, everything. And we didn't get it. Not so much. So this is the phone I wish that we would have gotten and didn't. Um, I can think of someone, particularly in my family, that I think would have bought it if it had come over. So that's kind of a missed sale on HTC's part. But I'm hoping the U12 will take the design language and maybe even the size of the U11 Plus and kind of run with it. So I have high hopes. As do I. And there was some talk about how that it might have been an agreement with Google so that the HTC U11 Plus didn't get released as the leftover project from the Pixel 2 XL um, so that it wasn't in direct competition with the Pixel 2 XL. There was also some talk that Google didn't want the Super LCD 6 device uh, display simply because it doesn't work as well with VR and Daydream has been kind of Google's new thing. But all of those rumors aside, there was one other thing that really made the U11 Plus stand out and that was in its design. One of the variants had this translucent back that showed the magnetic coil for wireless charging and it looked awesome. It was one of the slickest looking phones I've seen designed this year and I also wish it had come here to the States. So it doesn't actually have wireless charging. I think that's a coil for something else, believe it or not. What? Yeah, I know. I found that out after the fact. 99% sure. But his point stands. I thought it was one of the coolest looking phones, and it sucks that we didn't get it. But HTC U12, hit it out of the park. Come on. Come on, HTC. Give us what we need. So in the interest of time, we're going to cheat here and kind of combine three categories into one. And Fair that enough. is best camera, best battery, and best kind of software experience. And the winner for all those categories is the Pixel 2 XL. Who knew? And we happen to have an owner of the Pixel 2 XL, so I'm going to let him start on this. Uh, when, number one, uh, of course, I'm a Pixel fanboy, and uh, I, for one, welcome our new Google overlords. But yes, as far as the Pixel 2 XL goes, I don't think you'd find too many people who disagree with the fact that it's got the best, if not one of the top two best mobile smartphone cameras. 
uh, evidence is all over the internet. If you're interested in more of that, you can also head over to silicontheory.com and check out some of the photos that I've taken with it. Uh, battery performance is excellent. It's also got the most polished, fluid version of Android 8.1 Oreo to date. And it is on Android 8.1 Oreo. And so that's another one of the key things is with the software experience, you're getting updates as published directly by Google. It is um, in a lot of ways what I am exactly looking for in my mobile smartphone device. And I know a lot of you out there will agree with me, uh, some Note fans notwithstanding. The end result is, is that Google got a lot right. Not everything right, but they got a lot right with the Pixel 2 XL. Yeah, and I'll agree. And it was kind of interesting in the lead up, up to release, we kept seeing the single cam and it's kind of been the year of the dual cameras. So people were initially disappointed. And if anything, I think Google may have shown that the dual camera thing is overrated because with software, they are able to get a better result than the Notes, the iPhones, anything else really out there. So yeah, their uh, processing magic, if you will, on the Pixels is, is something. Yeah, the pictures that Sean gets and that I've seen of the Pixel, it's not that the Notes and the iPhones of the world take bad pictures. They take great pictures. We're spoiled now with how good cameras are. The U11 is another one that's right up there. But I would say the Pixel 2 is just kind of a notch above those other ones. And as far as battery, it actually doesn't have the largest capacity battery. There's the Huawei's out there that have the 4000 mAh. And, Razer phone. Um, the Razer phone that has 4000 mAh. And even the HTC U11 Plus that has a 3930. But as far as we've seen, as far as consistency is concerned and overall battery life, the Pixel 2 XL seems to be overall still the leader in a lot of ways. So again, that's one of the most important things for most people, I would imagine. So Google has that right. And then software, software is on point. You know, the Pixel proved it last year that Google was a cut above, I think, the others as far as fluidity and consistency. And that remains this year, too. It's the fastest phone that I think I've used as far as consistency is concerned. Now, OnePlus is right there, too. Yep. Oxygen OS flies, and in some ways they feel Very equal. Um, but I think the Pixel 2 is just a little bit more consistent. And, you know, to Sean's point, compared to the notes of the world, Samsung's really improved their software, but it's still not as fast. I think it's very fast and the gap sh has shrunk, but there's no question that the most fluid phone that I used this year was the Pixel 2 XL. So uh, Google is doing an awful lot right here. Having spent some time with both the uh, iPhone 10 and being owner of the Pixel 2 XL, I had an opportunity to compare the two of those. And I think, and we've talked about this a little bit off air as well, the Pixel phone is probably the, the most iPhone-like Android phone that exists out there right now. And the cameras, uh, the iPhone X camera is really good, let me be honest with you. But a uh, quick side story, I was with my family at the San Diego Zoo this weekend and I just quickly took a shot in portrait mode of one of my daughters riding this stone tiger because it was funny, why not? And um, the, the image that was produced by that single lens camera in portrait mode is astonishing. And my daughter has really crazy, frizzy hair. And by and large, the processing, the software processing, got almost all of the edges right. Really impressive camera. And it's, it's why it remains in my pocket to this day. Yeah, hard to argue. Now that we've talked about some of the things that we did like in 2017, and before we get to our pick for phone of the year, let's talk about some of the things that we didn't like so much in 2017. So let's talk worst design. And Sean and I are going to have a split decision on this. I have a two-way tie, and my worst design award goes to the smaller of the Pixel 2s, the Pixel 2, and the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus. Hear me out. 
They're great phones overall from a user experience, so I'll give it give it to them there. From a design standpoint, though, they look like a phone from three years ago, and this goes for both of them. They have huge, chunky bezels. They have some just overall interesting design decisions like, oh, I don't know, let's get rid of the headphone jack, even though we have bezels that you could fly an airplane on. Yeah, puzzling. And they just look outdated. Um, Apple obviously was spending the majority of their time on the larger iPhone X, I want to call it, but we'll call it 10. And Google similarly seems to have spent the bulk of their time, as far as design is concerned, on the Pixel 2 XL. So for the amount of money that they're charging for these phones for being flagships, even though they have great user experience, just from a design standpoint, I think it's a little embarrassing how dated they look. And you're not going to get too much of an argument here. Uh, I had the opportunity to have the iPhone 8 in-house. Sean also has an iPhone 8, and um, it does look like the 7 and the 6S and the the 6 from three years ago. So, uh, and the Pixel 2, we disagree a little bit about. I, I at least am happy that the bezels serve a purpose this year, whereas the first generation Pixel, those bezels served absolutely no purpose whatsoever and probably could have definitely just been justified overall uh, as the worst design. Uh, I don't think it's a great design, don't get me wrong there, but we agree to disagree simply because um, the Pixel is lord of all and can do no wrong. Lots of Pixel justification happening in this room, ladies and gentlemen. But um, <laughs> uh, I'd also throw the U Ultra out there from HTC. It was uh, too big, too unwieldy. The rip-off second screen concept from LG was not a good idea, and it fell flat with no surprise to anyone, I guess. Yeah, let's take a bad design and make it really expensive and release it right before all the other flagships are coming out. Oh, but it's not available until the actual flagships launch in a couple months? Awesome. Just awesome across the board. Yeah, not not the greatest idea from HTC. Next up is the weirdest decision by an OEM, and that award goes to... Huawei for the Mate 10. So, last year the Mate 9 came out, and it's a great phone, my wife actually has one. Huge battery, great cameras, big screen, small form factor, 64 gigabytes of storage, SD card slot, lots to love. So I was really looking forward to the Mate 10, and then the announcement got here, and it was kind of this weird split decision phone. So. They released a QHD Mate 10, um, 16 by 9 aspect ratio, so not the taller one. Um, they have some weird things, like they dropped the headphone jack. Um, it, it was just kind of puzzling. You know, they, they bring out this phone, and it's in some ways a step back, a regression from the last phone. Uh, instead of a normal LCD phone, it has a RGBW LCD, which we haven't seen in years, but that means one of the subpixels is effectively missing. It's clear and white to make it brighter, but that's usually at the expense of some artifacting on the screen, so just some overall puzzlement there. And then they have the Mate 10 Pro, which is an AMOLED 18 by 9 form factor, but it's 2160 by 1080, so it's effectively 1080p and it's pentile to boot, which isn't a deal breaker. We've seen this with the uh, OnePlus 5T now, and the screen still looks fine, but again, if it's your top-end, most expensive flagship, it's kind of a weird decision to make. The Pro phone. So, just overall, it was really bizarre. It felt like they took what should have been one phone, and they made it into two, and you can really pick kind of pros and cons of each very decisively. Doesn't one of them have water resistance and the other one doesn't? Yeah, the larger one is IP68, and the smaller one has no water resistance. So, again, Again, really questionable stuff here. 
Um, the good news, if there is some, is that these are actually going to be released in the United States, and the rumor is they're going to be on AT&T in February, I believe. Yeah, so, late January. Even. Yeah, I don't think Huawei's ever had a mainstream release in the United States. And nope. They're the third largest OEM of phones in the world by volume behind only Samsung and Apple, so this is a fairly huge deal. Um, we're looking forward to kind of getting our hands on them, but I still think there was a missed opportunity here. I think they could have taken the two Franken phones and built one super compelling flagship that really could have challenged kind of anyone. And maybe the 10 Pro will end up knocking our socks off and the shortcomings can be kind of overlooked, but it still seemed like a bizarre decision and in some ways just a step back from the Mate 9. I don't know. I agree, and especially considering that they probably knew and had negotiated the carrier support here in the United States ahead of time, you would think that they would want to have the one phone that they're going to get out there be their best quality product, especially because it could get them a potential big foothold here in the U.S. market, and people wouldn't have to buy, you know, Mate 9s off of Amazon or Swappa or some of these other places, and uh, yeah, it just feels kind of like a missed opportunity. Yeah, in full disclosure, like, I never like to just generalize about phones that I haven't touched necessarily, and we haven't had a chance to touch these phones yet or really review them. So who knows? Maybe the Pro will knock our socks off. But it still feels like if you're playing in that heavyweight category in the you know 800 plus price range that they're in, you have to have it all. And it neither do. Yeah. Weird. Weird. Next up, biggest OEM misfire. This is an award for someone who made a decision that, unlike the uh, Huawei choice, was maybe something that definitely shouldn't have happened. And that goes to? That goes to the Motorola Z2 Force. And and that pains me a little bit to say, uh, Motorola's been great to us this year. We got the chance to review the Absolutely. Z2 Play and the X4, and we really like both of them. For sure. Um, and the Z2 Force isn't a bad phone, so I, I do want to get that out there. It was just a particularly strong year for flagships, and this one kind of fell by the wayside. And here are the reasons for that, in my opinion. One, historically, the Motorola flagships the thing that you got above the others was a giant battery. And this is going back years to the Max phones on Verizon. You know, you got the Motorola flagship, you got some huge battery and you could count on, you know, really amazing battery life. And this year they cut the battery down substantially to 2730 mAh, which is, that's a tiny battery. It was the smallest by far of the flagship Android devices this year. The other thing is this, Motorola has been really good about sticking with their Moto mods, and for customers that have bought the phones, I really find that to be, it's a real loyal thing, and I'm glad the Motorola did that, because if you got mods, they said they would support them for years. So I like that aspect of it, but the byproduct of that is they had to keep a design that already looked dated last year again, so I would say the design again falls into that category of it looks two years older than it should. And the other thing is, if in order to keep the mod- modular, the mods going, you have to cut the battery down and you have to start making some kind of shortcuts, I would argue it's not worth it. I agree, and there was some dissension uh, out there on the internets about how maybe that the battery capacity was reduced on the Z2 Force so that they could sell more battery pack mods because of the higher margin and the multiplicity of those mods being available. And if that's your market strategy, I don't know if that's really going to sell a whole lot of phones because I think consumers want their phone to work without having to go out and buy another $60 to $90 addition to get it to last through a single day. And again, we didn't have the Moto Z2 Force to review in-house, so we can't really speak to how well 
it works. But I think if you go out on YouTube and find uh, most of the Z2 Force reviews were not overly favorable of the device and didn't really feel like a flagship in and of itself. Yeah, and I actually have had a chance to use it, although not in depth, not like a review. And it has a lot going for it. It has the shatterproof screen. There's some scratching issues, but I still think there's a lot of utility in there because people break screens and they're expensive, so that's that's neat. Um, you know, the cameras are not quite as good as the other flagships. I think that's another area where Motorola still needs to kind of catch up. But the software is great. Motorola is using the kind of stock Android with tweaks model, and I love that. I think it served the Moto X4, for instance, really well. Absolutely. Um, and as I said, we enjoyed a lot of their phones this year, so I don't want to come down on Motorola. I think they're doing a lot of things well. The X4 really stands out for me as a mid-range phone, and we enjoyed our time with it. For sure. But the Z2 Force just doesn't stand out in the flagship phone arena, and I think they need to really kind of take a look at the Moto Mods and what they want to do with their flagship phone. and maybe do a change of course for next year. I agree. I would personally choose the Z2 Play uh, over the Z2 Force, knowing that it's not the flagship version of it, simply because there are fewer compromises. And that modular uh, theme that Sean has already touched on is something that has kept their phones in a very distinct style, and that has started to look a little bit more dated, and it's going to continue to look more dated as we move on. So I'm hoping that Motorola will use kind of the X4 as the launching pad for uh, what they want their flagship designs to look like, and then perhaps the modularity can be reserved for their mere two devices. I think I'd pick the X4 over both of them. Again, you can look at our review, but I, I really love that phone in the mid-range. So For sure. Uh, Motorola's doing a lot of things right, but the Z2 Force, probably a little bit of a misfire, and it may be time to kind of rethink their flagship strategy. Agreed. Uh, that's enough negativity. Let's get back to some of the things that we did like in 2017. Uh, next up, let's do uh, best OEM smartphone lineup. And that award, probably the surprise of no one, is going to go to... And this is the Samsung fanboy himself delivering this, Samsung. I think when you look at flagships and you look at the quality of what Samsung released this year, so you have the S8, the S8 Plus, and the Note 8. Three great phones. It's hard to argue against it. For sure. Uh, first of all, they kind of brought the new 18.9 industrial infinity display design to the mass market. The G6 did release first, but Samsung's implementation with kind of the rounded corners, which some people hate, and the sides that angle down, which some people also hate. Uh, even though the utility may not be there from a design standpoint, it's hard to argue that it's not a striking looking family of devices. It looks great. Um, and I think, you know, the hardware really is beyond pair in a lot of ways. And what I mean by that is when you're looking at the total feature set of what Samsung brought this year, so you have water resistance, large batteries, SD card slots, um, you have the infinity displays. The 18 you, by 9 aspect yeah, ratio. Yeah, the best displays on the market. Um, you know, UFS 2.1, so you get the fastest memory. SA35, wireless charging. Kind of the headphone jack. It still has a freaking headphone jack, both do. And, and the leaks seem to indicate they're going to keep that going with the S9. So really when you're looking at like, you know, if you said what phone has the most features, those phones probably have the most features overall because they basically have anything you can think of. So they're really expensive. That's kind of the downside. But Samsung was also really aggressive about cutting prices. Um, and so many of them had deals kind of coming out of the gate pretty quickly. Trade-ins um, and all that other kind of stuff. And after last year, Samsung needed this. The Note 7 literally was a phone that was catching on fire. I mean, they had to recall all of them. Yep. We've never seen almost anything like this, and so they needed yep. a couple home runs, and I think they largely got there. Uh, the fingerprint scanner location notwithstanding. Not um, ideal. Not ideal. You get used to it. It's actually not terrible, but it's certainly not great, and it looks like, again, based off the leaks, they're moving it to the right place in the middle Gotta get fixed. of the back on the back. But 
Yeah, they just did a, right, a lot right this year. When you're looking at the other options this year, like Apple, the iPhone 10 stands out, but the 8 and the 8 Plus don't. Um, Google, the Pixel 2 XL is excellent, but the Pixel 2 to me is just so so middling at yeah. best. Um, we're gonna agree to disagree on this one. So when you're looking at kind of the totality of what's out there, I think Samsung had the best year. I agree, and not being a Samsung fanboy, Samsung fanboy myself, I can say that um, they listened. They took a great product in the Galaxy S7 and the S7 Edge and the really great but had to be recalled because it was going to explode Note 7 and uh, really improved upon the design and improved upon the things that people wanted. And they kept the things that people liked, like the headphone jack, and they improved the size of the screen, but kept the ability to have it one-handed if you wanted a smaller phone. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, the Galaxy S8 is roughly the footprint of the Galaxy S7, but the display size difference is immense. It's um, 5.1 to 5.8? 5.8. Yeah, so that's a lot of viewable area in roughly the same footprint. So. Uh, Samsung is doing great things. The hardware is fantastic. The software is less of an abomination than it used to be, and that's a step in the right direction. So, uh, and as Sean's already mentioned, the Note 8 packs basically every feature that a human could ever want into a smartphone. So uh, certainly I don't think there's any other OEM that did as much with their smartphone lineup this year as Samsung did. Yeah, consistency is key, so it's great that they have kind of that consistent lineup. I'm hoping they can continue that next year. We'll see. You heard it, Samsung. Get after it. Our next award is that for the best new feature in a smartphone this year, and that goes to... Well, I mean, I think everyone has to agree on this, and if you polled everyone, the best feature of the year was the squeezable size on the HTC U11. After all, who doesn't want to squeeze for the brilliant U? No, nah, I'm just kidding. Nobody cared about that. Here's our actual award. Yeah, I was wondering where the hell you were going to go with that. But the actual award for me is going to go to the now playing feature of the Pixel 2 and the Pixel 2 XL. This was a feature that I didn't know I wanted until Google gave it to me. And now I really use it a lot. The, uh, the, the music lover in me is out and about and I hear a song either on the radio or playing in a location and I go, that's a great track. I wonder what it is. All I have to do now literally is pull my phone out of my pocket and more often than not, the Pixel 2 XL is already gonna display it for me on the always on display down at the bottom. Uh, I actually like this feature so much that recently something happened that broke it on my Pixel and I was really mad when it was not displaying the music for me. And I'll be honest, I, I only really noticed it when I was watching Frozen with my kids last night and the constant stream of songs flashing on the bottom of my phone was kind of annoying. And then when I noticed that it wasn't there anymore, I'm like, wait a minute, where did this go? Uh, a quick reboot of my phone brought it back this morning and I was actually relieved. For me, this is, again, a feature that I don't think many people really thought about, but that a lot of people use and that I didn't know I needed it until Google gave it to me. So good on you, now playing for the Pixel 2 and the Pixel 2 XL. Yeah, unfortunately I'm still in the poverty position of having to actually open up the Shazam app and Shazam something. So. Why am I still even in the same room with you? I know. Also, little known fact, he's a huge Justin Bieber fan. Who knew? Wait, what? So now the moment you've all been waiting for our picks for smartphone of the year and... It's a split decision. Surprise, surprise. This isn't gonna come as a shock to I think any of you. So my choice for phone of the year is the Samsung Galaxy Note 8. Samsung had a lot riding on this phone this year. Uh, last year the Note line 
went up in flames. Literally. And we both literally were sitting there at one point on our podcast saying, does this kill the note line? Is this it? Is it done forever? Yeah. Is the brand damaged to a point where they can't come back? And the answer was no. They came back with the best note yet. Um, the Note 8 has almost everything you could want, in my opinion. It has a beautiful top-of-the-line, best-on-the-market screen, 6.3 inches. Even with that giant screen, though, it has a pretty comfortable form factor. It's got the small bezels, 64-gig um, of memory, SD card slot, dual cameras, SA35, 6GB of UFS 2.1 RAM, um, excuse me, 6GB of DDR4 RAM, the UFS is the actual memory. Um, it has IP68, a headphone jack, wireless charging. When you look at features, it literally has everything. Everything. Um, now, it's really expensive. When it was released, you know, $930 was kind of the bottom, and we had a lot of discussion about how ridiculous that is. For sure. Um, I got a deal on mine. The price has subsequently come down. There have been a lot of deals, but it's a very expensive phone. I think you could argue that the value is there. Um, the main other thing with the Note that had kind of been, and Samsung in general, really, that had kind of been uh, negative had been their software experience. And, you know, TouchWiz has been much maligned, and we've moved on to this kind of Grace UX, as they call it. And it's much better. It's not pixel too fast. It still drops frames occasionally, and you can get it to stutter under certain circumstances. But it's much closer. Um, in day-to-day -day use, it actually flies pretty good. I only notice that kind of thing occasionally, so they've really bridged the gap in that area a lot. I agree. And it still has all the features that make the Note unique. So it has the S Pen, um, split screen where you can open two apps at once now, and they have all these little fancy software enhancements. Now, I don't use it on a day-to-day -day basis, and my biggest use point for the S Pen is usually taking a picture of someone and then writing something obscene on it before I send it. So This is true. Um, you know, I'm not using it for contracts, as some people do, but you know, <laughs> it's nice that you can if you're a professional. And, and overall, just when you're looking at everything, it does everything so well. I love the design and the screen. You know, it's the best. I, I love it. So um, I'm a Note fanboy. I think there's no question, but I think you can objectively argue why the Note 8 is the phone of the year. And that's what I've just done. And, uh, and I agree. In a lot of ways, the Note 8 does have everything uh, but the kitchen sink and what you'd want for a smartphone. And some of the things that Sean P. has already mentioned are the reasons why we have a split decision. And I pick the Pixel 2 XL as my smartphone of the year. To me, what matters is the user experience. We've already, on this show, given an award to the best user experience for the Pixel 2 XL. Uh, battery life is incredible. Camera is incredible. Performance is incredible. Software updates guaranteed for three years. You've got the unlimited photo storage into the cloud of everything that you take, photo and videos, regardless of resolution, to Google's, to Google servers. And ultimately, does it have the best of anything other than the camera? Probably not. ScreenGate, while overblown, is a real thing. It doesn't have the absolute best smartphone display, but it's fine. Sean P has seen mine. Uh, any complaints, any concerns? No, it's it, the concerns with both the Pixel 2 XL and the V30 are totally overblown. They're more than adequate screens. And yes, maybe, again, for the price that you're paying for it up front, maybe more than adequate isn't what you should expect. But for me, it's perfectly fine. It does what I need to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And the things that I most enjoy about it are the ability to pull out of my pocket a fast, long-lasting, well-performing phone that also has the best camera smartphone on the market because that's how I use my phone. Uh, I stream podcasts, I watch a lot of video, and I take a lot of pictures and video. And for me, the Pixel 2 XL does that better than any other phone in the marketplace. I don't need S Pens. I don't need uh, the ability to create animated GIFs and send them out to my friends via text message like some people. But 
What I do appreciate about the Pixel 2 XL is it packs a six inch display in a relatively modern form factor, and Google gave us back the things that we wanted from previous devices, water resistance and front facing speakers. So that's a great package for me. And again, the price is mitigated somewhat by the fact that I could unload my Pixel XL and get a significant discount on it. So for me, the Pixel 2 XL is without question smartphone of the year. Yeah, I really like the Pixel 2 XL too, so I, don't, I want to get that out there. I would argue some of the compromises, the screen isn't quite as nice as the Samsung's. Um, the no headphone jack is still a weird decision to me. Uh, but if I could Frankenphone like Samsung's mm. hardware, take the Note 8 and put the Pixel 2 XL's OS on it with the uh, image handling from the camera and somehow fit the dual speakers oh, yeah. on front, that would be like the perfect phone. But yeah, I get why people love the Pixel 2 XL and I love it too. Um, I just think for most people, the software issue and the differences are not something that they would necessarily notice. I feel like it's more of an enthusiast thing. Could be. Whereas the headphone jack might be something they would notice you know, more readily. Um, but having said that, again, it, it's just a great phone. You can't really go wrong with either. And going back to how we opened up, this year was freaking incredible. Tremendous year for smartphones. I mean, the V30 you could make an argument for, the U11's a really Great solid phone. phone. Um, we haven't even talked about the OnePlus 5 5T. The 5T. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. It was just a great year. and. I think these two are the cream of the crop, but, but damn, it was close. For sure. And I think either way, depending upon what your budget is, if you're in the top tier smartphone market, these two phones will probably satisfy every need that you have in a mobile smartphone. And we haven't even mentioned the iPhone 10, which also belongs in that conversation. I mean, it has almost any beautiful screen, smaller bezels, great dual cameras with the OIS. Just a great year. It's got a great notch. Um, oh, wait. No, it doesn't. And uh, again, I'll link the review of the iPhone 10 down in the description as well. But 2017 will go down as one of the best years in smartphone history. And I think I speak for both of us when I say that we're really excited for what 2018 has in store. I can't wait with how good this year was. Everyone seems to be moving the right direction. Next year's going to be great. For sure. That's it. That's the Silicon Theory best and worst of 2017. Thanks for watching. And remember, you can find all of our content at SiliconTheory.com. You can follow us on social. We are at Silicon Theory on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you like the video, you know what to do. And if you love the video, make sure you hit the button that looks like our logo in the upper left-hand corner and you can subscribe to our channel. Thanks again for watching. Hope you all had a great 2017 and have a great 2018. Thanks, guys.